Take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 28. We're going to go to a familiar passage of Scripture here in a few minutes, uh, Matthew chapter 28. I was looking this week at some, some information online, and I found this list from the 24-7 Wall Street blog that reviewed some of the greatest product launch blunders in recent times. So in the last 20, 30 years, products that were launched and then didn't quite make it. Products like um, Google Glass, which has um, kind of gone off by the wayside. There are new ones coming at some point, but people didn't want to walk around with this kind of weird thing looking on. They kind of missed their product. Or the classic 80s one, which was New Coke. How many of you remember New Coke? How many of you remember that? All right. Uh, had that. And then, of course, there was also um, Windows Vista. All right. I heard some yes out there. I guess some people love some Windows Vista. I don't know. But like excited about that. Here, here's what the blog kind of described and discovered was that companies often fail when they lose focus on who they are and what their mission is. And so they'll put out products that don't align with who they are, that don't align with what their mission is. And there were some crazy ones out here that I had never heard of before. So in the late 70s, for instance, Colgate introduced a kitchen entree frozen lineup. Now, y'all know what Colgate is. Colgate is what? It's toothpaste. And for some reason, people did not want to eat Colgate beef lasagna. In fact, they said that the sales of Colgate went down, the actual toothbrush, because they introduced this line. Or there was also this uh, mishap, the, Col- the Clairol Touch of Yogurt Shampoo. So you may know what the problem with this particular product was. People actually ate it. All right? it was, nobody told them to, not even a president or anybody told them, they just... They just ate it, all right? Um, or this was a legendary Harley Davidson perfume. For some reason, people didn't want to smell like Harley Davidson perfume was. And perhaps the worst launch was the Cheetos lip balm. Now, I mean, I've, I've worn Cheetos on my lips a lot because the dust gets on there. But I guess people didn't want to wear it. Now, the point of all that is that you can tell that that's not what those brands were about, right? So Harley-Davidson in a perfume company, Colgate, obviously not a food company, and Harley and uh, uh, Frito-Lay's Cheetos was not a lip balm company. They got out of focus. They missed what they were supposed to be about, and they started to do things that were contrary to their purpose, or just didn't align completely with it. Churches can have similar issues. Now, hopefully no church has ever put out their own lip balm, right? But they can have similar issues when they lose focus on what it is that we are called to be and to do. And it can lead to problems within and without. It changes how we calculate whether or not we're being a success. And churches for a long time have had metrics of whether they're a success or not. One of the things that COVID has kind of done is it's wrecked a lot of those metrics that we use because of just the situation that our culture is in and that our country is in, the world is in really. It's, it's called us to reevaluate those things. 
And what I want to do over the next couple of weeks, we started this last week talking about the essentials of our faith, the essential of essentials of what it means to be a church, is to refocus our attention on what it is that we are to be and what we are to do as a church. What are the absolute essential elements that have to be here? Sadly, in our country, church has become about a lot more than the essentials. It's become about what we wear and what the building looks like and how we function in the midst of that. And I'm not saying that any of those things can't be issues that we discuss, but they all come underneath the initial reasons for us to exist. And so over the next couple of weeks, we're going to remind ourselves of two more things that really flow out of the first one, but they are important for us to remember what is essential about being a church. We've used our purpose statement last week. We'll use that each week. And that purpose statement generally is that we exist. That's the reason that our church exists, to glorify God by leading people to become passionately devoted followers of Jesus Christ. That's the whole reason we exist, is to glorify God. That was essential number one last week, that we are to glorify God. We talked about Isaiah 26, 8. Yes, Lord, walking in the ways of your truths, we wait for you, for your name and your renown are the desire of our souls. We talked about the story from John chapter 3, where John the Baptist's disciples themselves are wondering if everything's okay. And John the Baptist eventually gets to the point where he lists all these things about Jesus, and he says, he must increase and I must decrease. And so as we look over these next couple of weeks, we're going to look at things that are outflows of that. What is the specific way in which we glorify God? And that's going to lead us to one of the most famous verses in Scripture, a couple of verses together. Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. Those of you who grew up in church, what is this called? What do we call this section of Scripture? Great Commission, right? The Great Commission. It is what Jesus gives us to go into the world. This is our marching orders. This is a purpose statement for the church. Now, here's the deal. It is called the Great Commission, but it is one of five commissions that happen in the Bible. In fact, every gospel has a form of the Great Commission. John chapter 20, verse 21 says, The Father has sent me, so I send you. Mark sixteen fifteen through 17 basically says to go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation and those that accept will be saved and those that do not will not. Luke 24 verses 47 through 48 says repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached on his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And then Acts chapter 1 verse 8 which we'll talk about more next week says that you will receive power and when you receive power from the Holy Spirit you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so Matthew chapter 28 verses 18 through 20 are a form of the Great Commission but Every gospel, every one of them ends with some sort of commission to you and to me, to those that would be followers of Jesus Christ, even almost 2,000 years later, as we navigate the world around us to how we're supposed to live. So let's look at Matthew 28, 18 through 20. We're going to read it all, and then we're going to go back and break it down to how it informs what our priority should be. Verse 18 says, Jesus came near and said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, 
and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. So essential number one that we talked about last week, based on what Scripture teaches us about our priority and purpose in life, was to glorify God. The outflow of that for us, and in that purpose statement, is reflected. The number two essential that we must have as a church, if we are going to be a church that God has called us to be, is that we are to make disciples. Make disciples. It's really clear cut when you look at this, especially in the original language. When you read it in English, there seems to be several verbs in this particular passage of Scripture. But when you look in the original language, there is one main verb. And one main verb is all that is there and it controls the rest of the action in these three verses. And so the main verb comes in verse 19 and simply is make Disciples. Now, I don't even know if in English class they have to diagram sentences anymore. Those of you, y'all remember diagramming sentences? Those of you remember that? Do they do that anymore? Does anybody know? Okay, good. That's good to know. I'm glad they're doing it, all right? But when I was growing up, you had to diagram sentences, and especially, I thought that was great. I got through English in high school. I'm done with that. And then I got to, to college, and I took three years of Greek, and they made me diagram all the time. And most of the time, I'm just going to be real honest with you, it didn't make a whole lot of difference. All right? All the English teachers say, don't talk about that, all right? But when I did this particular passage, it opened my eyes. Because it showed me that the central thrust, that if you put that main line right there in the middle, there is a command from Jesus that everything else is subservient to and centers around and describes. And that main command of Jesus is to make disciples. Now, in our purpose statement, we say we exist to glorify God by leading people to become passionately devoted followers. The reason we use followers is it's just a more modern understanding, a word that is better for our modern hearers to hear than disciple. And that doesn't mean disciple is a bad word. It's just we don't use it a whole lot. In fact, when I try to type it in sometimes on my computer, it autocorrects it. And I want to put discipling in, it puts disciplining in, which there is some discipline in discipling, but it's not the same thing. But Jesus says his thrust, his main idea, his main command for you and me and a church is to make disciples. And if a church is doing everything else under the sun, but people aren't being transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ into disciples of Jesus Christ, then it is not serving the function that a church should serve. Now we're going to define what that means in a moment because I think that's really important. But we must first come to that realization that if we're just meeting together and having a good time together and eating food together and doing business together and making sure the bills are paid and making sure everything looks nice and making sure the outside looks good and making sure we're all wearing the right thing on Sunday morning and we're singing good songs and we're talking about good stuff and I'm giving good, I'm giving good speeches on Sunday morning and no discipling actually transforming our lives to be more in line with what Jesus Christ has called us to be is happening, then we are fooling ourselves to call ourselves a church now let me also say this to you we'll talk about this a little more boldly in a few moments but that's not just true for the church 
Because this commission was not given to the church because it had not yet formed in the original, in the way that we think of it hadn't formed yet. This was given to individuals. And the reality is the church only carries out what the individuals in the church are doing. And so if you as an individual are not involved in discipling other people, then you need to check whether you're a disciple of Christ yourself. Because disciples disciple. Now we're going to break that down in a minute because I know that's churchy language and you think, well, what does that mean? What does that look like? But it's the reality of what we see here. That the essentials of our church and of your life This isn't a church-only situation, a one hour on Sunday morning or two or three hours on Sunday morning and an hour on Wednesday. This is a life situation. We are to glorify God. We are to make disciples. Let's break that down just for a moment. It says literally they're making disciples. What are disciples? We we spent some time on this a little while back. I don't imagine that all of you remember it exactly, but disciples comes from a word that they used around there that meant student or learner. And they had different ways that this happened, but generally people got weeded out at various stages of their life about whether or not they would be good religious disciples or students of a rabbi. At a certain moment in life, they would kind of be free to go and find a rabbi to be their teacher. And so they would often go and sit at the feet of the rabbi that they wanted to follow. Sitting at their feet, listening to them was kind of like their application process. My oldest is a senior in high school this year. And so for the first time in our lives, we are walking through the application process to colleges. This was like an application process. Now, you didn't have FAFSA forms and other online stuff to fill out, but you went and sat at the feet of the instructor of the rabbi, and you hoped that they saw something in you that would allow them to choose you as their student, their disciple. As you sat at their feet, you would listen to what they taught, and you would learn from them the instruction they were giving, but you did more than that. You committed your life to following them. You committed to doing whatever they ask you to do. You committed your life to being a follower of theirs, listening to not only what they taught, but also watching and emulating what they did. You wanted to talk like them. You wanted to walk like them. You wanted to act like them. In fact, one of the greatest compliments you could be paid as a disciple was if someone would say to you, the dust of your rabbi is all over you. Now, don't say that to somebody today because they'll think you're weird, all right? But back then, if you walked up to somebody and you were following, you would say, the dust of your rabbi is all over you. And not only did you want to know what the rabbi said and see what the rabbi did, you wanted to do what your rabbi did. And so when Jesus says, make disciples, there was no question in the mind of those gathered around what he meant. He had been performing for them over the last three and a half years exactly the same process that he wanted them to carry out with those who would come after. Now here's the cool thing about the way Jesus works with his discipling. In their culture, in their age, the disciples chose the rabbi and the rabbi decided whether or not he would accept them. 
if you read the Gospels, who is it that does the choosing in the disciple and rabbi relationship with Jesus? It's Jesus, right? He walks up to him and says, hey, come follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. He walks up to Matthew as a tax collector and says, come follow me. And they made a decision. They didn't sit for a long time. Jesus says, come and follow me and I will show you the way. And that's the same way that Jesus comes to us. While we were yet sinners, yet Christ died for us. And so he has asked us to be his disciple. And part of being a disciple of Jesus Christ is, according to Scripture, according to the New Testament, is that we will watch what he does. We will listen to his teaching. We will see how he has walked. And then we will walk with him. We will walk as he walked. We will live as he lived. We will live our lives for the glory of God, for the sake of his kingdom, according to the principles and character that Jesus has put out. And as we do that, it then becomes our job to help people that's coming behind us to learn what it means to follow Jesus in the way that Jesus taught and the way that Jesus showed. And then we are to have them help the next generation. And it is to go from one to another to another. And generation there doesn't necessarily mean from one age group to another age group. That may be peer group. It may be someone older than you. It may be someone younger than you. But the point is that disciples make disciples. And then all of this stuff in this verse around it tell us when and how and under what authority that we do that. He says, go, therefore. The word there literally there is not a, hey, now leave and go. It is as you are going or as you are living or as your life is taking care of itself, as you are intentionally walking along life, this is your main priority. Make disciples. And so he means for you in the midst of your home life, he means for you in the midst of your work life, in the midst of your social life, in the midst of your interactions online, in the midst of your interactions at all places, that you are constantly aware that your number one priority in glorifying God and then making disciples of other people, helping to point them towards the Christ. And he says to them, basically they had no idea what the future was about to hold. They didn't have any plans, they didn't have any ideas. They knew Jesus was there. Jesus was about to leave them. And he leaves them rather quickly. It tells us over in Acts chapter 1 that while they were there, Jesus just disappeared. Went up in the sky, taken up. And then they look around each other and Jesus told them, hey, wait for 10 days. And then in 10 days or until the Spirit comes, when the Spirit comes, which happened in 10 days, then everything will be fine and they will go. But until that moment, Jesus just says, as you're living... Do what I've called you to do. For some of us to truly fulfill our call to disciple other people in our lives will mean that it may mean a radical shift in how we spend our time and our priorities. And even for some people, careers. But for most in this room, it will not mean that. It will mean being more intentional with the relationships that you have already built in your life. Or being more intentional about finding people that are in need of hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ and being discipled into what it means to follow him. As you go. 
And then he tells us the basic two steps that it takes in discipling, what discipling encompasses. Now, if you look online or if you read scripture or you look at commentaries, you can find multiple descriptions about exactly what is a disciple. But it tells us the two steps to it right here. And we'll talk in a moment about what they look like on the, on the back end. But the two steps are simply this. First of all is baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I've taught you. It's twofold. It's conversion and then what we traditionally call discipleship. But let's use a scriptural term, a a better term. Let's talk about sanctification or the process of God carrying on the work that he began within us unto its completion. You see, salvation for us is those of us that are Christians, those of us that are followers of Jesus. Salvation is an already ongoing process. That there was a moment in my life, a moment in your life as a follower of Jesus, when Jesus Christ saved us, when God, through His Son Jesus, forgave us of our sins and gave us the Holy Spirit to help us to live our lives according to His plan here on earth. And then, once that happened, there was the ongoing process of learning what it means to follow Him, to obey Him, the start and the stop of obedience and repentance and forgiveness and learning and relearning and taking away and moving in new directions and stepping out in faith. And as we do that, we grow consistently towards Him. And so as you have that initial statement of your faith when you accept Christ. For me, when I was nine years old at First Baptist Church in Dyersburg, Tennessee, with Just As I Am playing and me walking down an aisle that night telling the pastor that I have accepted Christ because I had prayed and asked Jesus to save me, to save me from my sins, that He was my only hope. And being baptized after that to the point where 35 years later, I'm still learning. I'm still growing. I'm still failing. But by the grace of God and the goodness of the one that I serve, He has continually made me to where I am farther along today than I was when I was nine years old. If not, there's an issue. Amen? And so a disciple is someone that hears the gospel of Jesus Christ and receives it and begins that pattern of growth within them. So what does that mean for us as a church? That we ought to be in the business of, first of all, proclaiming that salvation happens in no other name than Jesus. And that no hope exists for those for eternity who are outside of a relationship with Him. And we confidently proclaim that. We unashamedly proclaim that. And we declare it to be true because it is. But then we also help those that have come across that line, that have accepted Christ and been saved. And we give them the tools and the encouragement and the support that is needed to grow in their faith on a regular basis towards following Christ to where the dust of the rabbi is all over them. That they become people who worship the Lord. Not just in a Sunday morning setting or in a worship experience, but that their lifestyle shows the glory of God all around them. That they're a person that belongs to the overall family of God, but also has a group of brothers and sisters that are a part of 
helping them to guide them down the road. That's why in our church, listen, we do discipleship. We, we do encourage people in their faith and in their walk with the Lord here, now, in this place, obviously, on Sunday mornings, through worship and through the teaching of God's Word. But true discipleship happens better in circles than in rows. And I mean that it happens better in the midst of a Bible study among people that can have conversation and discussion and that can hold each other accountable and can help push each other forward and can walk beside people. One of the tragedies of this pandemic is that we have not been able to get together as God's people in those kind of settings as much or in the way that we would like to. Let me rephrase that in the way that we need to. And I don't know what's going to happen when this pandemic's over. I don't have a clue about that. I can listen to everybody that it's going to be from December, could be as early as December, all the way to 2024. Who knows? If it's 2024, heaven help us all. Amen. But what I know is that coming out of this, we are going to have to be intentional, whenever that is, about connecting with one another because it's come far too easy for us to not connect. Really. I've been thankful for Zoom and video calls. But it's not the same. I gave, I've gave i given Zoom hugs. Let me just tell you, they're not the same. Amen? We are to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the only way. We are to help them to understand that. We are to have them saved by Jesus Christ. Not of our own. It's not our job to get them saved. It's our job to tell them the gospel. It's our job to lead them to the place where they understand it through God's gifting and through God's ways. And then it is their decision between them and God. But when that happens, then we stand with them and move along with them to show them the way. Scripture here also gives us the how. It's not only the, the what, make disciples. It's not only the, the description of what that looks like. It also gives us the the how. You see, Jesus starts this whole thing, and I read verse 18 intentionally, because he says that all authority has been given to him. Those of you who have been a little around a little while, what does the word all mean? All, right? All. This is not one of those Facebook jokes that tries to get you to differentiate between each and every and figure out the math problems in the midst of that. This is All authority has been given to him. From the resurrection, he gave up some of his place when he left heaven, came to earth. He was obedient unto the cross, even unto death on the cross. He was raised again from the dead. And he says to his disciples, basically, this authority that I have, he brackets this commandment with, this authority that I have, the commission that you have in the middle, and then I am with you. So my authority is with you while you go. Not because of how special we are, but because of how awesome He is. And so He has given us all authority. He tells us at the end, He is with us always. We know from the book of Acts that He sends the helper, the comfort of the Holy Spirit. That when we are saved by grace, the Holy Spirit is given to us as a conscience for us to help us to understand right and wrong. As a guide for us, but also to give us the words to speak and the direction to go in sharing the gospel with people and helping them to walk in the way that Christ would call us to walk. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father 
and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Again, who is this command for? Well, it's for the church for sure. This was the leadership of what would become the church, but it is also for every single Christian. This commission is not given to a special assignment group. It's not the top level of Christians. Every single believer in Jesus Christ is called to disciple. There are examples throughout the rest of the New Testament. Titus 2 tells us about older women training younger women. There are descriptions of older men helping with younger men. 2 Timothy 2, Timothy was to train faithful men who would train faithful men. And the, the, it just continues on down the line. Ephesians chapter 6, they're to train their children in the ways of God. In fact, the first place that you are to disciple is in your home. Your first discipleship priority as a parent is your children. As a grandparent, your grandchildren. To help them to understand the ways of the Lord and what that looks like and where that means. But that's not your only place of discipleship. You are then also to find people in the community where you work and where you live and where you are part of your neighbors and your friends. And you're to help them to grow in their faith with Christ or to discover their need and have them accept Christ in the process. In the New Testament, when Jesus talks about what it would mean to prove that you are our disciples, there are some things that are said. There's the, the descriptions often given about that you'll show by the, my love, by the way you love people. But there's also this description about the fact that we will bear fruit. There's all through the New Testament this understanding that trees bear fruit, and good trees bear good fruit. And oftentimes when we hear that, if you're going to prove that you're a follower of Jesus Christ, that we're going to provide fruit, immediately our minds go to the character that God is developing within us and we think about the fruit of the Spirit. And I definitely think that that is implied and understood. That yes, as a follower of Jesus Christ, as we grow in our faith and our knowledge and our understanding of who He is, that we will become more like the fruit of the Spirit. We'll have more love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, absolutely, will become more like the Savior we serve. But I also think that we miss sometimes that what is intended in that fruit statement is not only the fruit of our lives, if you will, the character development in our lives, but that disciples produce disciples. There is fruit that comes from our lives and other people hearing the gospel, celebrating the gospel, growing in their faith and knowledge of the gospel. When I look back on my life, I'm thankful to God for the people that he has put in my life to help me in growing in my faith of who he is. Without whom? Now, I believe in the sovereignty of God, and I believe that God can work any situation to his will and his glory. But I am confident that I would not be the man I am today without people that poured their lives into me when I became a follower of Jesus Christ in the years afterwards. And I'm thankful to my pastor, Buddy Boston, Brother Boston, pastor of my home church in First Baptist, Dyersburg, Tennessee, that gave me the opportunity when I said that I wanted to preach. He let me preach when I was about 17 years old on Sunday morning. I think I've told you this before. I gave everything I had and was done in like nine minutes. So we're like, where is that preacher? Can we find him? All right. I had people tell me, like, that was the best sermon we've ever heard. It's like, I'm sure like, we won't talk about your faith, all right, in that moment. 
I'm thankful for a guy named Mike McCullough who um, was an elementary school PE teacher, not even at the elementary school that I went to, but often fill in in the youth ministry where I lived. When we, we had youth ministers oftentimes from Union that would come for a year or two period and then go away, and Mike was always the one that was there. Mike started discipleship group for my group of guys on Tuesday morning breakfast before school and then would take us to school. I'm thankful that he walked along with me. He brought me in to show me how he crafted messages, how he spoke on Wednesday night. Thankful for my father-in-law when I got to college, before he was my father-in-law. Hired me as his college intern to college students. Gave me an opportunity to speak, but then walked along beside me as I made mistakes and helped to guide me in the midst of that. And they're just three of countless other people, youth leaders in my youth group, college leaders that I was a part of in college, professors at college, people that I interacted with in seminary, people that I've seen known in my both churches that I've been fortunate enough to pastor who sharpened me and helped me, fellow pastors and other people outside of here. Sometimes I pray and I'm thankful to God for that, but I feel like that God has given me so much of that. And it's easy to sometimes feel like, like, like God, you've given me so much that I'm, I'm, not, I'm not pouring out as much as I need to. I want you to think about the people that have poured into your life. Sunday school teachers and people you've worked with, people you may have... Um, been in school with or people that have walked alongside you and helped you in your faith think about how truly grateful you are for those people and then ask the question for whom am i currently being that who is the person who are the people in my life that i am currently helping to see what it means to follow christ and growing in their faith And where am I looking to? Who are the people that I'm allowing to be that for me now? Because an essential part of every church is people, individual church members, who are not only being discipled by other church members, but are discipling those that they can And we can do a lot of really good stuff. But if we are not making disciples, then we have forgotten our commission. So how are you playing your role in that? Who are you discipling? If you can't think of somebody immediately like this is my first time discipling or mentoring or helping to understand what it means to follow Christ or who I'm walking alongside. Maybe you're in a relationship at some point in our lives. We kind of get in a relationship where we help each other out. It's not so much like I'm the discipler and you're the disciplee. I don't know if that's a word, but we'll make it one. Like it's not so much that. It's just that we are walking this journey together, learning together as we go. But there's got to be transparency and openness and a willingness to change in the midst of all of that. Jesus came near and said to them all, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father 
and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. First Baptist Goodlettsville, let's be about glorifying God because that is an essential. But let's be about making disciples because it's essential as well. Let's pray together. In a moment, we're going to have a time of response. And I'm going to ask you to respond. Really, just two questions today. Two questions for you. The first is, are you a disciple? Are you someone who has given your life to Jesus Christ? Are you someone that has accepted the salvation that comes from Him? Are you someone that has found that your only hope is in Him? And if not, then I would ask you today, what's holding you back? Maybe it's a, a lack of understanding and would love to talk to you about that. Maybe it's a, a, a lack of, of, of willingness to commit. What's preventing you today from making the step of accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and following Him? That's the first question. The second question for you today is this. How are you fulfilling the call on your life to make disciples? If we as individuals in this church are fulfilling our calls, collectively we will fulfill the call of the church. And so my question for you is, how are you, specifically you, fulfilling your call to make disciples in your life? Heavenly Father, we pray that you'll give us clarity today about what it would look like for us to fulfill this essential in our lives of making disciples. Lord, it's your call on our lives. It is the thing that you told us before you left that is essential for us, that our purpose, the stated from you, is to make disciples. Lord, I pray that you'll give us wisdom and understanding of what that means and how that plays out. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.